This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. First offense. All the mix. Okay, party people in the house. You're about to witness something you've never witnessed before. Well, 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 I gotta wipe the cobwebs away and blow off some of the dust. It's been two calendar weeks since Rob Simpson of VancouverHockeyNow.com and I have gotten together. Robert, where do I find you today? I'm constantly wiping the cobwebs away, uh, Rob. That's pretty standard operating procedure for me. I'm in Toronto, Ontario for one more wee bit of time. A little carryover, some business from the game on Saturday night, and I'll be back in the, uh, the beautiful coast with the most Tuesday. So let's talk about this because I live in the proverbial bubble. Everybody in Vancouver's got their two cents on what this Vancouver Canuck team is and what they could be and what trades Jim Rutherford inevitably has to make to improve this organization. But outside of Vancouver's bubble, for example, in Toronto, what is their opinion of the mighty Vancouver Canucks right now? What should they be doing according to those in the big smoke? Well, the folks in the big smoke are mostly just upset with the fact that they lost the Buffalo Sabres on Wednesday night, five to one, and they booed their team off the ice. And then they blew a third period lead and lost the Canucks on Saturday night. I don't think they're the least bit worried about what the Canucks are doing, to be honest with you, but they are impressed with Thatcher Demko. They are impressed with the story. It's not front and center here, but they realize kind of what's going on. It could be a potential, could be a phenomenal story, really. I mean, if this team can continue doing what it's doing, winning three out of four on the road trip for the Canucks was pretty somewhat startling, especially after losing that second game on the back-to-back to the New Jersey Devils to come out and then beat the, the Islanders and Toronto Maple Leafs was very, very impressive. Now, realistically, the um, coach and coaches will say, hey, one game, one period, one shift at a time, but ultimately they really need to win five or seven on this road trip to keep the dream alive. And I think that's kind of what the hockey world is uh the hockey world is generally kind of taking a wait and see attitude. They're saying, yeah, you know, it's pretty cool so far, but let's see where you are as we get closer to the deadline. So the deadline for me is the worst thing for a hockey fan, because the reality is, is you want to buy into your team. You want to say, okay, cool. We got 20 some odd games to go. Let's start believing in this team, but the business sense of what they have to do, as opposed to just riding the wave of excitement, because it seems pretty damn good over the last 25 games, kind of takes away from what they've actually been able to accomplish over the last two months. Like, I don't think people realize how big this turnaround is. Yeah, and it puts, as I just literally kind of wrote the summary article today on VancouverHockeyNow.com, we kind of touched on it as we've moved along here and kind of made a mockery of some of the trade rumors that have popped up. but. Essentially, today it came down to with exactly two weeks left until the deadline is the predicament the team has put the management in because they, you know, you got a fan base that's jacked up. They're believing, they're loving it, and that's good for business. And uh, Francesco Aguilini, I walked past him in the hallway outside the Canucks dressing room after the game on Saturday night. He was there talking to players. He's all smiles. He's excited about what's been taking place. So, I mean, when you have that kind of momentum going, you can afford to, or you need to just, you know, wait a little longer. Now you wait and see what happens over the next three, four or five games, I guess. And then you still have three or four days to make some decisions. You can plan, you know, kind of have contingencies in place for if you're going to make a move here or there, but they're really ultimately not in any rush and they don't want to wait till the last day because then maybe you lose some leverage, but 
So they got to weigh a lot of different things. And, and it's complicated by the fact you have this lovely rags to riches story. All right. So here's my thought process. And sometimes I try to put myself in other people's shoes to see if I'm thinking about this the right way. If I'm Francesco Aquilini and I pull the lens back two years, well, what? We've had a truncated season. We had a botch season. And all of a sudden, we got an opportunity here to make some playoff revenue. Yep. I know from a fan's perspective and from an analytic perspective, you want to win the Stanley Cup. But yeah. for a guy that has probably lost money or at least not met what he's usually used to getting as far as what's filling up the coffers or not, if I'm Francesco, do I just want to get some gates? I mean, we're talking about two and a half to three million dollars of revenue for every home playoff game. I don't think he gives a shit this year if he makes it to the Stanley Cup or starts <laughs> to rejig. He just wants some money in the pocket. Yeah, I think so. And I, I don't think the fans would mind that either, because as I pointed out, the, the, um, in the written material they're going to be a middling draft anyway. So if they just miss their middling, so why not make it and be middling, right? You're not going to win the lottery. If you're going to get that kind of middle 10 draft pick, do it by making the playoffs, have some gate and get your fan base jacked yeah, beyond but, belief. Okay. I'm not to cut you off here, but let's just say there's a trade available for Besser. He's out yep. the door. Yep. Or there's a trade for JT Miller that you just can't say no to. And he's out the door. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Well, no, I'm just saying, hypothetically, if the perfect deal arises yeah, and possible. this team decides to take a piece or two away and then they don't make the playoffs, sure, Johnny Pie Chart feels good because in three to four years, they're building, quote unquote, the winner. But if I'm Francesco, do I have the patience to wait another three or four years to build that true winner on paper? Or do I just want something now to finally start to put some money back into the bank account? He wants both. And that's why he hired Jim Rutherford. He wants both. So he wants to figure out how to, and by the way, when I said not going to happen and possible, you know, you never rule everything out, but it would take such a ridiculous King's ransom to get JT Miller that that discussion hasn't, I mean, whatever, I've been poo-pooing it for two months because it was absurdly early in the first place. That's why he brought in Jim Rutherford to, to balance that all out. You can cut it two ways. What do they need long-term, right? Well, they need cap space. They need youth. Their, their system is decimated. Most of the players that are young prospects are already playing for the hockey team. I mean, Jack Rathbone, the defenseman, is still down there. Klimovich is still down there. But you've got Hoaglander playing for the Canucks. You've got Pod Colson playing for the Canucks. Um, it's pretty desolate in terms of the depth of prospect. So that's something that they want to build. But in the meantime, I think Jim Rutherford wants to figure out a way to add some D depth, a way to tweak this lineup and to get some results. I don't think they're going to want to wait three or four years. I mean, that's why they get paid the big bucks, the good GMs that win and are successful. They figure out a way to kind of balance it. Now, if it's a pure rebuild and all that good stuff, and that's what's the mandate, and that's what they know they have going in, then that's what they do. But that's not the case here right now. You're not going to gut this team and start over, especially when you have a goaltender like Thatcher Demko at the back end. You want to build around that, build from the goal line out, and they have the potential to do that. You know, you know Jim Rutherford better than most in this market. And I guess a question that I would have as a guy that's never crossed paths with Jim Rutherford is communication used to be a really sore point for this organization. It was just not one of Jim Benny's strong suits. It seemed like everybody that was talking within this organization was doing it behind closed doors in a back room around an alley, wherever. Is Jim Rutherford a breath of fresh air in this regard when it comes to a guy like, say, Bo Horvat, where... Bo has come out publicly and said, I don't want to do another rebuild. I'm not here for another three, four, five years no. of retooling and rebranding. Is Jim Rutherford the kind of GM or president, pardon me, that would come forward and say, 
here's the five-year plan? Or is he more patient or reluctant to have those conversations? I don't know if he'll come out and say that. I think he will generalize in the sense that he, kind of what I just said, like, what can we do now? What can we do in the next season or two while rebuilding our, our prospect base? Right. And what can we do? You know, he, he, he's not afraid to explain why he does things. Like in other words, if he does make these moves before the deadline, he'll tell you why he made those moves and what the plan is. So in that regard, he is an open communicator. But I don't know if Jim Rutherford right now is looking at a five-year plan. He might, you know, he wants to leave a legacy and he wants to leave the franchise in good shape. But I think he's more concerned with balancing out all those factors. It's funny, though, that you bring that up because uh, the one time that I ran into him on the road trip and I was like, hey, can I stop by and talk to you for 10 minutes? He's kind of like, yeah, yeah, okay. And it was the New Jersey game. And I, and I said, you know what? I'll pop up after the first intermission if we get a chance, or, or I said, I think I said, if things are going well, <laughs> and it's the one game where it was like, well, guess I'm not going up there. Yeah. No so, kidding. and then I just, I just never ran into him again and never really, you know, made any backdoor efforts to find him, but it's just kind of ill-timed, but some great conversations with some personnel and the coaches and such on the road trip. And it was a lot of fun to see, uh, see everything unfold. So now they get to come home. But before we do this, I just want to really quickly circle back because one of the names that has kind of been in the crosshairs this year, maybe more this year than in previous years, is Bo Horvat. And it's it's funny because it's not necessarily an analytic thing. Leadership. And yeah. I know that he came in and kind of was tapped on the shoulder with the knight sword from Daniel and Henrik, and he became the guy. But he, came the, he became the guy really early. And you see this in certain organizations. Jonathan Taves was a, a teenager, I think, when he became captain of the Blackhawks. And sometimes you can tap the shoulder of a guy before you realize what that guy is going to become. I don't think anybody is in the room enough to truly put a statement to this. But what would you say of the criticism right now of Bo Horvat when it comes to leadership? Well, I, I don't see it as an issue. I wondered about it myself personally uh, earlier in the season just because of the schmoozy schmooze nature of the game now. I remember there was a game earlier in the season when he twice skated over a TV timeout to talk to Marc-Andre Fleury about making a save on one of his shots. I go, what the hell is this? Like, it's one thing, you know, now we got him chit-chatting during pregame skate at the red line at center ice, but now going during a TV timeout and chatting with a goalie. I mean, there's certain coach, coaches that would flip out, like even con conceiving of it. Daryl Sutter, for example. Um, this was back during the Travis Green time. I'm not sure if Bo's done that again since then. But to me, that was bothersome. And it was not leadership. It's not what I want to see for my captain. I want to see my captain being kind of in hate mode, if possible, at all times. If somebody else wants to go chit-chat, go ahead, but not, not my captain. But that said... Having spoken around the team, they all seem to really think that the chemistry and his leadership is just fine and dandy. And it was funny at one point, I think it was either right before we left on the trip or right maybe one game into it, there was also criticism about his production. And he, he kind of joked and said, well, you know, I'm not exactly, you know, this is not Connor McDavid here. I'm, <laughs> I'm, taking care of business. And, and it was, he was actually accurate. Like there was some criticism and he, he'd gone like two games or yeah, two games without a point. And then since then he's had, I think it's uh, seven in his last six, some right in that ballpark. I can look it up, but I think it's seven points in his last six games. So 
captains and Steve Eisenman will tell you this. And a lot of them will tell you this, that you lead by example and you lead by producing and you lead by working hard. And I don't think there's any question that Bo Horvath has been doing that. And he's producing points at the same time. It's a really tough criticism when you're not in the room. I've been around sports, but I rarely have ever heard another player say that guy isn't captain material or that guy isn't captain quality. So when I hear it just slandered about in the media, I sit back and I'm like, man, you know, if you want to talk about stats or analytic or all that stuff, have at it, man. Like that's what makes sports cool. But when you start to question a person's uh, ability to lead or a person's ability in what they do and behind closed doors, I, I usually tune out people because I'm just like, you don't know that. You don't know that. And I doubt you know somebody that's willing to go on the record and say that. To me, it's just cheap heat. And I I rarely, if ever, would go there. Well, you know, you you hear a lot of that now. And I hear it more from inside DERS than I do like actual team personnel than I do people outside. And that's Blake Wheeler in Winnipeg. Like one of the big problems with the Jets is he's not. I I mean, Boston moved him early on in his career. There's chemistry leadership issues in the Jets organization, whether it's Wheeler and Shifley or whatever it is, and they might deny it, but obviously there's something wrong and there's been something wrong for a while. And that fingers point in that direction. It's interesting. I ran into Peter Shirelli in the press box in, uh, on Long Island. Of course, we won general manager Stanley Cup winner in 2011. And we talked about analytics and hockey and how they are intertwined in certain cases, but otherwise they're mutually exclusive. And he said, Tomas Caberle because of his entries and numbers was a analytics pickup that year. And Rich Peverly was utterly and completely not an analytics pickup. He was picked up for his character, his hard work, and to build out the bottom six with, you know, some hard work. So, you know, they are two different things on a lot of occasions. And the thing that you just talked about, and I'm talking about in Winnipeg, there are no quadratic equations for chemistry. And one guy can ruin a hockey team. And it's been proven time and time again. So those are that's just one of the thousands of intangibles that cannot be analyzed by numbers. So it, it, I mean, it's interesting that uh, how it all works. I get where you're coming from, though. It is difficult to talk about the room when you're not inside the room, and it's unfair to talk about the room when you're inside, not inside the room. And I only bring up the Jets because I got it sort of from inside the room. For me, it's almost like dissecting someone's marriage. Like unless right. you're in the living room when they're fighting, you don't really know. I mean. Right. You can- but that's just me. All right, let's get on to something a little more positive. We talk about the Vancouver Canucks somehow finding the way into the playoffs, but once they get there, there are a couple of bohemoths that would be waiting for them. Colorado's got 85 points. They're obviously the cream of the crop, but then you've got a bunch of teams that have really interesting storylines. So let's put Colorado aside for a moment as the proverbial team to beat in the Western Conference. How interesting to you is Calgary? Well, they're getting their goaltending from their former Vancouver Canucks netminder, their their chemistry. I mean, Mark Giordano leaves, and this team has performed more consistently, 33-14-7 and seven this season on top of the Pacific Division. Powerful team. I, you know, it's interesting you bring this up because I you're getting ahead of you're really getting ahead of us there, Roberto, because I haven't thought of at all about uh playoff matchups, but you actually, I guess you really kind of need to, especially when it comes to the uh intradivisional stuff, but they're getting production and they're scoring a whopper amount of goals. Like their goal differential is outrageous. It's close to 57 plus 57 as I say, close to 60. So 
they're, they've kind of put the pieces together. And a lot of that has to do with coaching. Uh, Jeff Ward, who was there before, is a great guy, phenomenal guy, good coach. But the management folks will tell you that, you know, he's just he's an assistant, period. That's it. Um, they had some limited success with him, but that runs out. And then, you know, they bring in Daryl Sutter, who's obviously won Stanley Cups and has the experience and is no nonsense, does not mess around. And that's that is what that team, that is what that team needed. That team needed Daryl Sutter. And um, it's worked out pretty well for them. So they're they're a threat, no question. So you say that they needed a little toughness, like a Daryl Sutter. Would it have been fair to say that Vancouver needed a Bruce Boudreaux, not just with X's and O's, but just that whole demeanor that everybody seems to just love? Yeah, I think so. In terms of the toughness and hard to play against factor, I wouldn't mind seeing a little more of that from them in terms of the actual physicality and the physical makeup of the team. They are seemingly getting the most out of everybody in that department based on the personnel they have under Bruce Boudreaux. So in other words, they're living up to their almost maximum potential given what they have in that area where they might be able to use another banger. World is on its edge right now with everything that's going on globally. Do players talk about that? Uh, interesting you bring it up because I, I'm going to be writing another story on Vancouver after I post this beautiful production, the Roberto Faye production. I'm going to uh, had a little one-on-one with Bill Daly at the NHL headquarters. He gave me a tour of the new facility uh, HQ at 99 and, or sorry, 33rd and 9th Avenue in Manhattan. And then we talked about the Ukraine, talked about the Russian players, OV and some of the other guys. And I brought up Pod Coles and I thought it was interesting that, you know, here's a teenager who doesn't speak English, who is somewhat oblivious. I don't think he would know if somebody was yelling at him, if they, even if they were. He's just a kid playing hockey. Uh, I don't know what his opinion is. We don't talk to him. He doesn't have, we haven't used his interpreter probably since training camp or maybe a little after. Um, there's the two Ilias, a forward and a defenseman in Toronto. I asked the media there about them. They said their English isn't very good. Nobody's brought it up. Nobody's even asked them. And I was like, I'm surprised that none of you guys have wanted to you know, even ask these guys, but they hadn't. So it just seems like from the hockey world standpoint, other than the league having to maybe tap dance a little bit on a, on a local level, uh, other than Ovi, and I think Bill Daly said one other player spoke out. I don't even know who that is. It's almost as if, you know what, business as usual, let's just put the blinders on, play hockey, enjoy ourselves and not worry about it. Is so. that kind of a PR guy's uh, dream scenario where everybody just kind of stays away from those topics? Because I would imagine if somebody, and, and again, I'm going to not mention Alexander Ovechkin, who would be, you know, ground zero for having this conversation because he's outspoken pro Putin for the most part. But I would imagine somebody younger, for example, you would avoid that. Like, is that kind of one of those unwritten rules within the locker room as far as the media goes that this would be a lightning rod comment? It'd be great for you, be great for clicks. But then again, you don't want to corner this guy or put him in a situation where all of a sudden he's polarizing. I, I, I don't know if I would want to ask him that, even though I know it would get me clicks. I don't know if that's the right thing to do. I would ask him. I would ask him like if Pod Colson spoke English, I would that would have been my first question. I mean, let's face it, it's it's a it's a huge deal, a world changing event. And but, even though it but doesn't would other guys in the locker room kind of look at you like, come on, man, no, give the guy a break. No, 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 I don't think so. When it's God, pick any topic when it's uh, the equal rights, women in hockey stuff. You know, that's the first question out of their mouths. Indigenous. It's first thing. Black History Month. First thing. Um, I mean, this is a different scale, different animal. But anytime there's a top uh, the the 
guy, Brad Aldrich in Chicago abuses a hockey player. And if we find out 10 years later, that day, that morning, Bo Horvat, who has nothing to do with it, and a couple other players, that's the first question out of everybody's mouth. What do you think of this, this situation with sexual misconduct? And they had to, that was the first thing they had to answer. So, I mean, topic of the day, hell yes. It doesn't matter how controversial or devastating it might be. Hockey players are, you know, first and foremost, front and center, and they have to answer these questions. So whether it's assault or ethnic or war, I think it's fair to find out what's going on. Okay. So let's hypothetically say, let's play this game for a bit because I really like it. Let's say, you know, the world all of a sudden falls on its side. Does the PR guy go up to said player and say, Hey man, do you want to talk about this or not? And then if the player says, man, I'm not really quite there yet. I'm still trying to figure out what's going on. The PR guy then comes to the media and says, Hey man, I'm going to make this guy available, but please don't ask him this. (laughs) <laughs> is that enough for you out of respect to not ask? Or do you say, fuck it, I'm doing it because nope. this is the hot topic. What do you do nope. there? In that case, if it's arranged and the guy's come right out and said, I'm not going to ask or, or, or I don't want you to ask, then you don't ask because then you do look just look like a dick. Gotcha. So if you're instructed ahead of time, you, you know, you follow the instructions. But if it's, if it, you know, if you're not and it's open, then you ask. Travis Hammond is a perfect example. Travis Hammond hasn't done the media in weeks. And, you know, we've asked for him multiple times, whether it's one-on-one or in a group, and uh, he's keeping it on the down low. Now, he's probably thinking, well, I don't want to talk about all the previous stuff with the vaccination and my family issues, and that's understandable. But he doesn't have to talk about that. Like, what the scenario you just painted is what he should do with PR. He should come out and say, sure, I'll talk about hockey but I don't want to talk about all the other stuff. And I'd be fine with that. Come out and talk to us about getting back with the club and playing your 10 or 12 games so far and how you're doing. We don't have to ask about that crap. It's all that's in the past. Anyway, you're vaccinated, you're traveling. Whoop-de-doo. You know, that's, that's for a different time. You know, Mm -hmm. we can do that in the off season. If at all. I, I think just as a guy that worked in PR briefly, albeit with a minor league baseball team, there were certain moments where you knew that question was coming with regards to insert situation here. Yeah. And a lot of the media guys in the city were kind of cool with it. But there was always one guy that was just like, no, I'm doing it anyway. Coming <laughs> right down Broadway. I'll never forget it. Lyndon Little, man, the former writer with the Vancouver newspapers. Uh, you could say, hey, Lyndon, man, probably not today. He'd be like, yep, sounds. And then right fastball between the eyes. And you were just yeah. kind of like, all right. You yeah. know, but the media's got to have their say. Uh, Rob, before we wrap this up, because I know you're in Toronto, so you probably want to hang out in Cabbage Town or something before it's all said and done. <laughs> 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 it's actually not a good part of Toronto, but um, no, probably not. I'd probably be in Kensington Market. Actually, no, I'm. Spot. Yeah, yeah, that's like Stonerville, which I'm not stoner guy, but it's pretty, <laughs> pretty entertaining. Uh, people watching and uh, and food and stuff like that. Actually, I'm going out to dinner with pals and then uh, be on a very, very early flight tomorrow morning. If things go well, I'll be at practice tomorrow. We'll see. Oh, must which be nice. Will be, which will be nice. <laughs> Well, let's talk about you getting home. Let's talk about the Canucks home because they're home for a while now. And we talk about pressures. You know, like sometimes it's great to go on the road and they've had a successful road trip and they get to come back with a bunch of points in their pocket. Blessing or a curse? No, fantastic. You I want, think fa- so too. But I Hell think yes. Okay. Yeah, you're not tanking at this point. You're, you're, your team is driven. They're together. They're, they're absolutely pulling for one, one another. They're working their arses off. They're 
creating a buzz. You're getting the fan base jacked up. Why the hell would you not want to see that now? You want to see them win. And I'm not, there's no, obviously no guarantee that's going to happen. They could, it could fall apart, but I mean, Oh God, no, this is hockey. You play, you play to win. And if they go five, one, and one, fantastic for the fans. Like my God, it would be incredible. We'd be looking at, you know, not saying they're going to run on to win it, to win anything, but it'd be St. Louis blues caliber stuff. Like worst team in the league before the new year. And they win a Stanley cup. And again, that's the decor here is not the decor that was there. Let's just, put, let's just start right with that. But, um, Oh, hell yeah. No, you, it's hockey. I kept looking at the door at our recent wrestling event, hoping that Bruce Boudreaux would walk through the door and yeah, the crowd in... would pop and the music would play. And... <laughs> he was in New York, bud. I'm just saying would have been nice. You know, yeah. they finish up with that game against Calgary, just absolutely beat the crap out of them. He comes across the street the next night, watches a little NEW wrestling and then finds his way to the big, you know, the big hey. apple. We'll get him to the next one, dude. If he's around, he'll go. I'll, I'll I'm telling you. I'll tell him. I'll get Crowd him would have go. gone bananas for him. Yeah, no, they'll go bananas. He'll get there. If Bruce Boudreaux shows up at an NEW show, we got to find something good for him to do. Yeah. I'll bring it up because I, I know he's a, he's a huge fan. We're right across the street. He doesn't even have to, he doesn't even have to park his car in a different spot. He can walk from the underground straight into our venue. Why is it? When's the next one? Same place. When is April, it? Say Thursday, April 7th, same place. Uh, they're on the road at Arizona. Sorry, bud. That's a Thursday night. Yeah, no, he's on the road in Arizona. Back to back Vegas and Arizona. It's not like he has to show up in Arizona. He could probably you just should... do any W. <laughs> you should have made it Friday the 8th. He'd be home doing nothing. Damn it. I'm trying Damn my it. best, man. I'm trying my best. Check the Canuck schedule first. Yeah. Uh, trust me we're doing okay we're the little ship new's uh, you know tinkering along we're doing just fine but robert thank you for your time with this it's great to see you man your hair's looking good i feel like when you go on the road you clean it up a little bit right because you know you're gonna see all your old pals and you know this is a uh, bedhead from wearing a hat but well that's you what, know, but that's in this, this that's is what like this is a good look right now I was in an ex-girlfriend's house last night, so. Yeah, I ask nothing, man. I ask nothing. I don't <laughs> want the details on that. I noticed that you're wearing, and if you're an SNL fan, you'll appreciate it. You're wearing your Sprockets shirt. I am wearing Sprockets. Yeah. It's, a, it's, blue, it's blue, not black. <laughs> we're both wearing <laughs> we're both wearing the same shirt today. I, I wondered maybe that's why you were insinuating I'd be hanging out in Cabbage Town. You thought maybe I... <laughs> switched lifestyles or somehow or no you know, no if anything flipped. you'd be better for it but I if digress. i change teams or something but hey, no you know what man you not stranger things and that's not. awesome by me <laughs> robert simpson of vancouverhockeynow.com thank you please stop by any time and say hi to the guru i know you got a round table with him a little later today yes i do and uh everybody can hopefully yeah well looking forward to this one and the next one with the uh, roberto fay and the yes there will be a investor round table um, also available at equity.guru. He's riding the wrestling high right now. He's yeah, good. living the dream. Good. Well, good you guys dream. are you guys are kicking ass. How is the crowd? Sold Pack? out. Sold out. You're getting there, man. Slowly good, and steadily. Good job, Faye. Thank you, my friend. All right, let's do this again. Cheers. Talk to you. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen.